Settlement House Showdown. Peter O'Shea, the youngest of the O'Shea brothers, had a heart that yearned for life in the big city. When Pete was a lad of seven, his father, Charlie O'Shea, relocated the family to the Dakota Territory. Charlie hoped to take advantage of the free Homestead Act land. Life had not always been about homesteading for the O'Sheas. Peter and his three brothers, Jacob, Joseph, and Stephen, all had vivid memories of the year they lived in the predominantly Irish tenement building in New York City. The O'Shea brothers often spoke of the times they spent inside their cramped tenement apartment. The most vivid memories were of sharing the 18 by 15 room with each other and their two sisters, Anna and Elizabeth. Including Charlie and Nancy O'Shea, Ma and Pa O'Shea, a total of eight family members crammed into that rundown tenement. Peter often compared the tenement experience to that of a flock of New York City pigeons sharing one nest. Peter's parents had left their homeland in Northern Ireland in 1887 with the hope of acquiring land and building a future. The O'Shea family immigrated to America and arrived at Boston Harbor in June of 1887. This was several years before Ellis Island in New York City became the immigration station for millions of European immigrants. After spending a few weeks with relatives in the New England state of Massachusetts, Charlie and Nancy O'Shea knew their family must find better jobs than just laboring away in the hot, tiresome, life-endangering textile factories. The family made their way to New York City, where Charlie O'Shea and his two oldest sons were hired to work with a Carnegie Steel Construction Agency. Even though they worked tirelessly, Charlie and his sons could not support their family. Later that year, while reading the local newspapers, he heard of the possible land rushes in Oklahoma and Homestead Act land available in the Midwest. Charlie knew that was where his family belonged. 11 years later, and 22 wheat harvests later, the youngest O'Shea, Peter, had turned 18 years old and was thirsting for that city life he left so long ago. For millions of Americans at the time, city life was attractive. There were all kinds of new technologies that had been invented and put into use since the O'Shea clan settled on the Great Plains. Edison's creation of lighting and usable electricity was allowing businesses to keep longer hours. Alexander Graham Bell's telephone was finding its way into homes, offices, and government buildings of all major cities. Peter knew in his heart that he was not a farm boy did not want to spend his life on a farm. The calling within urged him to experience the rural to urban movement. 
As families like the O'Shea's were settling the Great Plains, the majestic American cities were becoming modern-day marvels. The desire for city life grew stronger as the weeks passed. Fearful of hurting his parents' feelings, Peter decided not to ask permission or seek their approval. Instead, he devised a plan to reach the city. But first, Peter chose to leave a note for the other O'Shea's. Dear Ma, Pa, Jake, Joe, Stephen, Anna, and Lizzie. City life burns within thee. I am destined for the hustle and bustle. I must at least try. Farm life is not for me. The screeching brakes of the locomotive awakened Peter O'Shea. Only once before had he been on a train. That trip was four years ago when he traveled with his older brothers to Santa Fe, New Mexico in the southwestern U.S. on a church mission trip. This time, Peter had jumped aboard the Northern Pacific Transcontinental Railroad in Fargo, North Dakota. The voyage to Chicago had taken him through several Midwest region states. Peter quickly leaped out of the freight car which was bound for national markets in the east. It was early morning in the meat-packing capital. The sounds of the city were coming alive, just as Peter awoke from his uncomfortable night's sleep. It seemed as if Chicago was saying good morning to its newest visitor, Peter M. O'Shea. Peter navigated his way around the city and eventually ended up in Chicago's west side community. As he approached South Halstead Street, he noticed a line of people. Curious, Peter approached and stood amongst the strangers. To his surprise, a variety of languages were being spoken. English, Italian, Russian, Spanish, and even a little Japanese could all be heard. Peter remembered an article he had read from the Dakota Weekly newspaper. The paper explained how an influx of southeastern European immigrants was sweeping the nation. Life in the rural Dakotas had made Peter become accustomed to less diversity. But before Pete could walk away out of the corner of his eye, he caught a glimpse of the most beautiful girl he had ever seen. Stunned by her beauty, Peter was hypnotized. 
she approached and began to speak. Sir, would you like coffee or hot tea this morning? Huh? What? Peter responded. Oh, just come inside. Breakfast is at 8.30, and we have a job skills class at 9. Will you be in attendance? Huh? What? Dumbfounded by her beauty, that's all Peter could manage. Before he could get out a logical response, the beautiful girl was being summoned by another not-so-good-looking older lady. Oh, Shannon, we need to check on the babies in room 27. The lady requested. Shannon replied, Right away, Miss Adams. But could you show my new friend here to breakfast? Um, what's your name? Peter. Peter Emoche. He barely got it out. For a moment, Peter thought he had forgotten his own name. Well, Peter Emoche, I'm Shannon Marie Quinn, and this is Jane Adams. Welcome to Chicago's first settlement house. We call it Whole House. Jane Adams grabbed Peter by the arm and led him to the cafeteria. In a few short days, Peter had gone from his father's wheat and cattle farm to the grandest settlement house in America. The only problem was settlement houses were made for immigrants new to America. Peter had been in the country for over 12 years. When Miss Adams left, Peter jumped out of the breakfast line and went in search of Shannon. As he wandered down the settlement house halls, Pete was amazed at the organization. There were rooms perfectly arranged for all sorts of activities. He witnessed new Americans learning English, babies getting burped, immigrants binding books, and still others studying maps of Chicago. As Peter glanced down the narrow hall, Shannon's long, golden blonde hair glowed in the light. At the end of the hall was an exit door. Next to the exit door was room 27, which was occupied by a half a dozen crying immigrant babies. Shannon seemed to be looking in on the babies and talking to someone outside the door. Without a moment's notice, the exit door slammed open, causing Peter's newfound love to fall backwards onto the floor. A strange man dressed in brown trousers and dark overcoat burst in the door, grabbed Shannon by her flowing, wheat-filled-like hair, and jerked her into the back alley. The stranger began smacking Shannon across the face. Peter could hear the abuse from down the hall. Peter sprung into action. He dashed down the hall, darted out the door, and flung his body on the attacker. Peter O'Shea pinned the stranger to the ground, closed his fist, and began pounding the man in his face. After five direct blows, the stranger's nose began to bleed like a running faucet. Peter then drove his knee into the stranger's stomach. The man whimpered and cried like the O'Shea family hound being attacked by a mad wolf. That's when a dull, blunt pain entered Peter's head. Peter had been knocked out. Ten hours later, Peter awoke to a room full of strangers. He recognized two people. One was Jane Adams, and the other was Shannon. Peter O'Shea, can you hear me? Are you okay? Jane Adams asked. Oh. 
Peter moaned. Don't try to talk, Peter. You saved my life. Those men would have killed me. Shannon exclaimed with emotion. It was my pleasure, Peter sputtered. A new voice in the room began speaking. It was an older, distinguished gentleman. He wore an expensive dress suit and top hat. My name is Patrick Quinn. You saved Shannon today. I'm forever grateful. The men who attacked my daughter work for Boss Wrigley. They have been after me for weeks on end. I guess they decided to take it out of my daughter. The political boss has been angry with me for months. I persuaded hundreds of local citizens to vote against him in the upcoming election. You see, my boy, Boss Wrigley, will I cheat? Still, I need an murder to get what he wants. Wrigley will tell immigrants anything in order to get their vote. He's the most unethical man of the time, so my friend, you can come to stay with my family, so we can properly repay you for saving our shining. We will do whatever we can to help you get on your Shannon exclaimed as she flung her arms around the son of a homesteader. Shannon's hair grazed Peter's face. At that moment, Peter O'Shea knew his future. He would move forward in the 20th century with his new love, Shannon Marie Quinn. What would the youngest O'Shea's son experience next? For the first time in his life, Peter looked forward to waking up the next morning.